0: Uctoday.com. Hello and welcome to Out Loud. Today we focus on sales. I used to be in sales. I was never particularly good at it. I think everyone agrees it's a tough, high-pressure specialisation to be involved in. Today I was lucky enough to speak to an expert. Ian Moyes is sales director at Natabox and has decades of sales experience, both selling and providing training and coaching. I wanted to speak to Ian. In particular, to ask him how the traditional sales approach might need to change. Customer buying models have changed, industries are more globalised, and all of these factors means the sales ideology might need to reflect those transformations. I started by asking Ian if he thinks the sales ideology does indeed need to transform.
1: I'd say it's evolving and it needs to change. Have all salespeople changed? I I don't think so. But what has changed is the biodynamic, the buyer side. And that's because how all of us behave and i always challenge people when i do sessions or training or anything on this in the audience of forget what we'll talk about think of yourself as a as as an individual human when you buy something you go to watch a movie you'll check imdb or you might check local reviews or you'll you'll check something if you're buying a product you might look on amazon at the star rating people it's the natural behavior we'll have because we have more information at our fingertips than ever before about organizations their products and services and individuals so if someone is coming to meet you to sell you something you can within seconds at your fingertips on any device anytime anywhere research that company their products their peer reviews what other people are saying about them um, Glassdoor, what their employees are saying have they got lots of people leaving and what the person that's coming to meet you looks like you check them on social you can see what type of uh, and people make micro judgments and we all do it. So that's why the sales side has got to change because the buyer side has changed, whether we like it or not. And people think that's only B2C, to, B to it's not. B2B, B, we all do it. Um, some people do it with more diligence than others, but certainly if you're gonna spend a large, large purchase, do you, you do your research, you'd be naive not to. So when you sit in front of that prospective supplier, you'll know things about them, you'll challenge them on things you've heard to try. and. You still have to make your own decision but you've got more contextual knowledge than you've ever had before so the days when i remember a salesperson going to meet someone and they say tell me about your company and and where you fit and t- tell me all that stuff they know tons of it already they're five steps ahead of you and that's why salespeople have to change their game
0: that, that's something really interesting and something that i hadn't fully considered when, when i was doing some research for this um in, in terms of I remember when I used to go out to do sales, you know, my particular sales manager at the time would always expect me to do an amount uh, correctly to expect me to do an amount of research on the customer uh, uh-huh. that, that was potentially buying, which, which is only too right. But, but what you're saying is that that customer also now is, is much more savvy in terms of what they know about the sales organization, whether that be, as you said, to, straight to consumer or, or business to business.
1: Yeah. Well, well there's peer, let's talk the technology sector as you, as you raised that initially. Let's focus in on that. So if, if I'm going to look at product A, I'll, I'll certainly be looking at other types of products. First question is, how do I find out who else I should look at? Who, who are the other players? Um, and that's very easy now because you can go on comparison websites. In B to B, there are Peer Insight websites like G2 Crowd, um, like Peer Insights from Gartner, like um, I'm trying to think of some of the other names. But there's four or five major ones where you can put a product name in, and it'll say this is what other people have compared it to. Here's the likely comparisons, and then it will also give you a comparison grid. And often. Uh, customer reviews and feedback. So you're getting real world information that is out of the control of the vendor. So the vendor can't control what you hear about them at any level, you know, this brand control with social media. There's an easy one. Go on social media, do a search for the hashtag. What's people saying about them? Are people, you know, we, people complain, they take to social. You're going to see it. You can't hide that stuff like you could years ago where um, the buyer Was isolated. It was difficult for them to really get a a world view of, or a market view of, this particular prospective supplier or vendor. Now it's easy. Um, And what you've got to think of salespeople: we have sales training. Buyers have buyer training. There are courses they go on how to how to negotiate. And And guess what's built into those now is do your research. Because the research, if nothing else, not just who you choose but it gives you power to leverage negotiation because you can, the more, the more knowledge you've got, you know, knowledge is power. The old, the old um, adage, the more from both sides of the coin you can engage. And and, and it is a little bit of a game, right? Engage who knows and and playing together to get a win-win for you, for the customer and the supplier. Um, But that knowledge wasn't easily attainable before you, what you do, phone up random people, or you'd say, give me some names of your customers, or you'd look on the website, but, how do I find out who I'm with a the phone? There wasn't a LinkedIn. Um, so you might see them. We're going to randomly phone one of their customer logos on the website and do your own research. It doesn't happen. Now, it's very easy to do a search and start to find other customers and engage with them separate to the vendor even being involved. Very different game.
0: Completely. And the, uh, another interesting point that you've raised there in terms of... Uh, Years ago, I think back, you know, you would have maybe a couple of people in an organization that, that were specifically trained, maybe a specialist buyer or a specialist purchaser. Now, effectively, with, with Google and as you mentioned, some of the raft of tools out there, anyone effectively can be a pretty diligent buyer or purchaser within an organization conducting their own research in a, in a matter of minutes online.
1: Yeah, and, and, and that's a good point, because with in, in the IT sector, with shadow IT and, and with the consumption, you know, the subscription consumption model, what we've seen is a lot of decisions get made either outside of IT or with IT having peripheral involvement, whereas before traditionally you would sell to the IT manager, IT director, CIO, etc., a lot of projects now will be driven, for example, in the in the marketing space. The marketing director may go out and choose to use an inbound marketing tool like HubSpot, Eloqua, um, Pardot, um, etc., and do that and sign up for it and be using it without IT even being involved or knowing. So what they'll be so they'll do their research differently to an IT. So it isn't you need to be just good technically. They're going to look for peer insight from other marketing directors where they've had outcomes from from this technology, etc. Um, so, so the game's changing the seller in total. And there's more people involved in buying decisions typically. But it, and it isn't always led by IT. So you might find marketing or the sales director or the HR director leads it and brings IT in as a validation point to just check some things out on security and the right things needed. So the dynamics we used to take on, on selling IT technology have changed as well who we sell to and how many people are involved in the decision. How do they relate to each other? Who do they know? You know, the, the person you're selling to as a salesperson, who do they know that, you know, did they used to work at one of your ex customers or did they used to work at a customer who uses one of your competitors products? What an insight that gives you as there's a good chance. If they had a good experience, that competitor is now favored because they would probably know the people, know the technology, know how to use it. Or did they have a bad experience? But knowing that they worked at a previous company that you can tell or already know used a XYZ product gives you a little bit of information to think, how do I engage with this client? What may I face? What do I need to think about? Again, more knowledge. It gives you more chance to understand. Do I qualify out early? Do I ask different questions or how do I behave to try and win this business?
0: Absolutely, that, that interconnection adds a, adds a real dynamic. And another thing you mentioned there, which we absolutely can't ignore is is the way we buy services, especially within technology, whether that, that be the hardware or software. Do you know, even five years ago, a purchase Probably would have been a one-off, even a software purchase. If I'd bought, for example, an, an Adobe package, I'd have bought a, a a disc which would live and die. Now your the shift has been to a, a consumption model, hasn't it? And that mm-hmm. that again yeah. has completely affected sort of sales dynamics
1: it has and it's affected the technology vendors themselves and if we start at the top end just an example we've seen that with microsoft changing the whole business model you know if you go into pc world now you don't see boxes of software these subscription license cards to office 365. so microsoft has shifted its business its development its invest- everything is cloud look at their adverts on tv and you've seen the same from oracle from sap the push is everything is cloud message everything in they're betting everything on the cloud. The cloud is the future of all their businesses. Um, and those are subscription models. Um, so there's re- there's lots of different reasons why the vendors are doing it. why customers have done it. It's not just commercials, et cetera, but it's a different financial model. And that that's the a fundamental piece that affects selling, I guess, because you, you need to relate that back to how you pay and compensate salespeople, how you incent them. And that's been one of the biggest challenges I've seen in the market. Um, is not for the salesperson and the business is connecting on the biodynamics change so you've got to change your sales approach to get to the table in the first place once you're engaged all your other sales skills come in right because you're meeting people you might demonstrate you're negotiating presenting etc cetera, et cetera, all that but the first part of the sale getting the initial engagement has fundamentally changed and then the incentivization of a salesperson to sell if you've got multiple solutions a lot of these as a lot of vendors and, and channels to market have they've got traditional type models and products and the cloud and if you don't get that incentive right guess what the salespeople is motivated to sell what puts money in their pocket not necessarily where it takes you in the future and what's best for your business which is the annuity the licensing renewal model so there's a, there's a whole lot of changes going on and it's not easy by any means. And not everyone's stepped over that chasm yet.
0: No, that was going to be another point uh, that I was going to make going forward. In terms of, th- there's a, not only a change required by the individual salesperson, but there's also a logistical, administrational change required as well by organisations in terms of, uh, exactly as you said, and let's face it, a lot of salespeople are motivated by the bottom line, the, the money that they're going to earn. And if you have product a which you sell up front and you get paid a a larger lump sum on commission wise or product b which over three years might make considerably more money for the business but effectively you only get paid a little bit up front when you have potentially a monthly target to work at yeah you know which one the salesperson is going to
1: choose don't you yeah. And, and, and that's one of the challenges. I've, I've been talking about that particular dynamic and I wrote white papers on this in 2011. That's how frightening it is. And yet still a lot of people haven't figured it out now. Um, and, and I get it right. It's what we're seeing in a lot of different markets where disruptions happening and it's difficult to put your foot in the new camp when you've got to take three steps backwards to be able to take five steps forward and businesses are resisting. Uh, you know, it's the new customers only syndrome we've seen in one of the famous adverts in the UK. We want to, we want new customers, but we don't want our existing customers to churn to this new model. And that's a challenge a lot of, of um, technology vendors are facing. It's widespread. It's not something new, but it continues today. Um, but for the individual salesperson, that's something the business needs to store, sort. So in terms of their success, regardless of what they're selling, they've got to figure out how this new world works. Um, with things like the term social selling um, you know your personal bio all of this is becoming incredibly important now um, and coming to the forefront and very few i would argue have really stepped up to the mark and taken hold of it and the ones that have are thriving all the reports and analysis that come out from all the different studies show that those who have adopted these new methods are being more successful earning more etc
0: and just one more thing before we come on to how you can potentially earn more, and and the sort of tools you can use to improve it. the 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 changing consumption model, and I'll, and I'll use a particular example here of um a, a, a phone system, for example. So say five ten years ago, you might have sold an an on premise phone system to a, to a customer, yeah. where they have made a large investment. Up front, which they might intend to sweat for, you know, three to five to seven potentially years. So wh- once you've made that sale, ho- hopefully you've done all the background work and, you- and you've sold the right solution. N- now, if a customer looks at maybe an alternative cloud phone system, mm-hmm. they are in no way tied in for that solution as they would have been previously when they'd leveraged a large investment. So you you have to make sure potentially more so now than previously that you're absolutely getting the initial sale right in order for them to continue with with the renewals and and staying with your potential package
1: yeah that's a good point in the in the telecoms area where i which is where i'm you know the market that i'm in right now in cloud telephony um i i think we're up for and i've spoken about this before a major disruption we've seen it in other areas like crm i worked in that market crm now uh, approximately, and I see different numbers from studies, but approximately seventy percent of new sales of CRM are all cloud, and that's been a shift over the last ten years, from where there was a lots of on-premise products which were thriving, now they're not. You know what we've seen is either traditional providers in that market have moved to offer cloud uh, offerings, or n- new entrants, as were at the time. You know, Salesforce, one of the most successful companies on the planet, in in the technology sector. Um, came from nowhere in that space you know we had lots of other crm brands when they appeared and yet look where they are now dominating and you can then look where microsoft's gone and where sap and they're all cloud provide cloud provisions and i think we're going to see the same disruption in the in the telecoms market we still have a lot of telecoms providers out there with with legacy base but if you look at what's happened with avaya going into chapter 11 coming out uh, we've seen Mitel going back into being private, uh, being acquired by private investor and being delisted. Um, if you look at those traditional names, uh, there's lots of acquisitions going on. There's lots of all this stuff going on. There's a shift, and a lot of them are talking about, well, we need to get cloud. They're trying to dip in cloud. And then on the other side, you've got lots of innovative cloud providers offering smarter technology. It's quicker. It's easier to deploy. And it does things quicker and more agile for the customer that the old platforms don't now the challenge that provides also is if you look at the traditional providers and this is very this mirrors what i saw in the the traditional it sector of servers and networking etc the traditional telecom pbx providers have been selling mostly through resellers so you'll sell through a reseller. so as a customer you'll buy this technology through a telecoms reseller somewhere in your and they'll be there for break fix and coming and helping you et etc in the cloud world, don't need that because the cloud provider can manage all of it remotely. So you've taken off that you only compete with local providers, and you've to, and you've basically meant that local reseller now of telecoms kit is now competing directly often with the cloud technology provider themselves. So the customer, the advantage for the customer is they're getting it directly from the vendor who owns the technology. They're getting direct support from the vendor they're you know get, getting often technology that's far more agile for their for their business that's the world they're in right they're being driven by customers to deliver better experience etc off the back of that you need to adopt technology that enables you so it's nothing against there's nothing the customers aren't making a decision of i hate the vendor i had they've done the job but what they're looking at is how do i service the customer in the market? how do i behave in the way i need to behave in the market i'm in for me to be successful And if that means I have to use different technologies because my historic providers can't just just don't help me operate in the new world. I'll flip and I'll flip to someone I've never heard of before.
0: Yeah. And that and that requires, again, not just, you know, a changing dynamic from from sales personnel and sales individuals, but again, a shift from from that organisation, that traditional reseller. Uh, who might have, as you said, one business on being a local provider able to offer peripheral, you know, managed services and professional services has to be able to offer, you know, new innovative services that actually add some benefit to that customer and, and enhance that that cloud vendor proposition.
1: Exactly. And the enhanced bit is the key. What I would say to a reseller of any type is you need to understand and define what your value proposition is to the customer now. What, 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 what is your value to the B? Because it's not the same as it was before. It's not we've got spare parts in and we can get to you quickly. It's not a, a line of credit. And it's changed. this has changed for all channels. Your value that you gave before is flipped on its head. You need to understand and figure out what is it that differentiates you that the customers going to buy through you and pay an extra premium that gives margin to you. Or you will be disrupted. And we see that across all markets. It's happening at the, right now. All different providers are getting disrupted because, you know, we could look at using a recent example: Toys R Us, who claim the online retailers um, have killed them because they still had business, but they had to operate at different margin levels. And the online retailers don't have to have um, high premium bricks and mortar locations; they can be out in the sticks and use cheaper delivery method. Blah blah blah. So you've got to change to the market dynamic. What does your customer want? What is the what providers are now going to be the shining stars and how do I bridge the gap between the two and what is my value in doing so? And if you can't identify that, you're going to be marginalised and or disrupted, acquired or put out of business. And and it's an unfortunate fact, but it's happening. And I think we're going to see a lot more of it in the next five to seven years.
0: Absolutely. And in this this current period of, of disruption and transition, from your experience, obviously you've got a lot of experience with, within this. What what are the tools? I remember I did a, a course when I when I was in mm. the previous sales right, a Cisco outcome selling uh, yeah. course, and and I have to say I don't think I ever sold anything based on an outcome, uh, despite right. despite going on the course. That might be a paucity of my sales. But what, what are the what were the what are the main tools and main things that individual salespeople can look at and sales managers can look at and, sure. and, and think what what can we try and do to, to change and, and boost our abilities in, in this current market so
1: I believe as a sales leader I believe the fundamental skills are still needed right so all the things you'd expect for salesperson good questioning skills listening skills um, responsiveness all that all that's good good stuff during the sales process the bit that has changed that I would advise is the piece people need to get hold of is the first part of the funnel, getting to the table in the first place, and and engaging with the right people. Um, and, and that comes under the term social selling. And social selling, I think, is a misnomer in term because people going to go. And I've had a lot of people comment, "Well, our product, we can't sell our product over social." It's not about selling a product over social and taking orders over the web and type thing. Um, it's about uh, in get figuring out how do I find out more about my prospective customer, i.e. I can then align on how do I engage and sell with them, and how do I use those those platforms to get that engagement in the first place. And social selling is a methodology, it isn't technology and tools. Technology and tools empower you and enable you and are part of what you use to do it. The same as in sales, the phone isn't the be-all end-all, it's a tool you use. But your skills lie over the top of it it's the methodology you use over the phone or when you meet them etc cetera, etc cetera. so social selling is about um, employing methodologies and, and pretty fundamental ones that it, i always say to people it's not rocket science um but it it it, it doesn't um suffer the dumb well if you get if, if you if you don't figure it out and, and figure out how to do it you you can fall into some big traps but it isn't rocket science complexity it needs a lot of learning And there's some fundamentals. I know we haven't got long. So in fundamentals, I I, I advise salespeople are, you need to become a little Sherlock or a lot Sherlock. What I mean by that is if if you watch Sherlock Holmes, uh, there'll be a murder scene or a crime scene. And Lestrade will be there from Scotland Yard and he'll immediately make an assumption based on some periphery information of this is what happened. Sherlock will come in and spot 12 other little nuggets of information and figure out and think about it and piece together a totally different story. That is, in a social selling, looking at that customer and figuring out, okay, let's look at their business, let's research, let's look at their annual report, let's look at the people mentioned. Um, does their CIO or does the people I want to engage with, do they talk to the press in, in the industry they're in? What comments are they were? They set their strategy out, research and figure out, look at their LinkedIn profile. Are they on Twitter? What do they tweet about? Is there any connection there? Where do they go to college? Do I know anyone that knows them that I can then ask that person? How well do you know Fred or Sue? What are they like to say? What are they like as a person? Oh, they're very factual. They want to, they're going to drill in 10 levels. You better be on the board. Or they're very personable. What, how do I approach? Who, are they, who do they connect with in their company? Who are the influencers? And all that stuff. It's about doing research. And the nuggets you can find are incredible. We've had it where we looked at things, figured out through a network and figured out who the buyers were and found out that hidden away in the little nuggets of the profile, the buyer had profiled of what his goals were to save between seven to nine percent in negotiations. Well, guess what? In going into a negotiation. How, and that's a lucky one. Right. But create your own luck. So that's a big part of it is figuring out things and trying to figure out, out things that they haven't told you. But what we'll give you is indicators on how to approach and engage. And during engagement, what questions should I be asking? What clues has this given me of, I understand previously you did this or, or you're, you're being an acquisitive company, which means this and this. We've helped other companies like that because like this and this and this. It, it, it changes how am I going to engage, right? As opposed to here's my standard approach, here's my standard deck, I, I engage for 50 people the same way. People expect personalization now and you'll stand out. I get it all the time. I get approaches from tons of people trying to sell us, whether it's recruitment or sales tools, et cetera. And they all take a pretty bland approach. Uh, you know, the one that stands out that sort of starts with I notice you did this Ian, or did that and makes it personal and makes me interested. and says because of that, we think you'd be interested in this and relates it to something is more likely to get my engagement. So that's one big part. Second big part fundamental is your personal bio. And the number of times I see salespeople don't get this is how do you look online? Because as we were discussing earlier, the buyer is going to look at you as well. Assume they are. Well, they might not. Yeah, they might not. But assume they are. What are they going to find? What, what, how are they going to judge you? What decisions are they going to get? Have you got recommendations from other clients of how you were professional and da, 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 da Make sure you look as shining as you can in terms of professionalism, in terms of reliability, responsibility, that people would look at you and go, this is someone I feel I could trust based on what I can see of them now. People make pre-decisions. It isn't the first three minutes of going into the meeting room now. Often it's the first three minutes of them looking you up. They've already made decisions before they meet you. Whether you like it or not, And that is going to increase. You know, here's why it's going to increase. Microsoft just made the announcements of LinkedIn profiles are going to start to automatically appear in email in Office 365. So when you get an email from someone, it's going to start showing information about them automatically on the screen next to the name of the sender. So they're not even going to have to think about it anymore. They're going to to draw you into. And Microsoft's going to push that, right, because of. How much they spent for LinkedIn? Yeah, completely. And and you're right.
0: Someone will have virtually met you, you know, a, a long time before. So so your main tips are there. And, and I remember that's something that they talked about when, uh, when when applying for jobs. You know, make sure your online presence, as you said, is is, is as professional as possible. But and yeah. effectively, in this in a sales role, going for a big contract or going for a big sale, it, it is like applying for a job. You know, you're applying for a large amount of investment.
1: Yeah, and and unfortunately, you're right. That's why I've seen people say, "Oh, yeah, I use that for job hunting." Yeah, but customers can look you up there. Prospects can look you up there. And if you're starting to look them up, they may see the alert and their notifications that you viewed their profile. The number of profiles I view, where you get a view back, and I I should probably run some stats on it. But uh, you know, it's a reasonable percentage of people will view you back based on you viewed them. So therefore, if you're going to do social selling and research them there you're basically nudging them probably to check you back in. They may not have done before. So it's a catch 22. So, but chip people's bios. I always, it always amazes me when you look at them, they don't spend effort on it. It do not spend any time on it. It's your calling card, business cards. You know, when, when are we going to get rid of business cards and it's going to be electronic and it's going to refer back to something like LinkedIn, you know, so, and these are pretty fundamental, basic things. None of these are complex. It's just a little bit of time and effort.
0: Yeah, completely. Well, I mean, Ian, you've made me sufficiently paranoid now that I'm going to go through my (laughs) LinkedIn and my Twitter and and thoroughly amend those. But thank you so much for coming on the podcast. I I really appreciate your time. More than welcome.
1: More than welcome. And thank you for the invite. Do appreciate it.
0: Huge thanks to Ian for coming onto the podcast. I found that really interesting, and I think it's undeniable that sales methods and tactics need to change to reflect the transforming markets that they're being operated in. If you want more information or have a question for Ian, he's pretty big on Twitter, and you can find him at imoyse, which is I-M-O-Y-S-E. Thanks for listening to today's episode. There's loads more to come on out loud this week, though, so stay tuned. In the meantime, thanks for listening.